from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to test you as if something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God is resting on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or a common criminal or even a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let us go to our Father in prayer. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit this morning, that in your light we may see light, and in your truth we may find freedom, and in your will we may discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As we approach the close of our series on 1 Peter, I hope you have enjoyed the pastoral and encouraging nature of Peter's writing. I know I have. He really knew his people. He knew the communities to which he was writing. He knew of their sufferings and of their difficulties. And he kept calling them back to Christ. In the early part of the letter, Peter describes incredible realities of the kingdom of God. A new birth into a living hope. An inheritance that will never spoil, perish, or fade. Being part of a spiritual house. We're chosen. Royal priests living in God's wonderful light. Given those amazing realities, it's understandable that the early church leaders could be surprised at the suffering that they were experiencing as they were following Christ, as they were walking in his ways. And while we in America and in Mesa County we don't experience the persecution, the type of persecution that the early church did. But I think we in our own way find suffering strange and surprising. 
I mean, if God loves us and he saves us and we're diligent in trying to follow him, why do bad things happen? And confusion grows with the ideas of health and wealth gospel and the name and claim it ideas that can enter into our thinking. Pray the prayer and be blessed by God. Turn to him and everything starts to go right. I mean, that's often the theme in some of these faith-based movies. And it's, the, it's frankly the fairy tale ending that we all want. At least I know I do. So don't we find it strange when, cu- when suffering comes in our lives? We're certainly not looking for hard times. But life is messy. And we know bad things happen to good people. Which is why I think working through this passage can be helpful for us this morning. So Peter has written a letter of encouragement and testimony to the true grace of God. And part of that encouragement and true grace is recognizing that suffering is the way of the cross. But what does that mean? How does Peter reconcile the good news of the kingdom of God breaking into this world and the suffering of his saints? Well, let's first take a look at the type of suffering that Peter is talking about in this passage. Because there are all types of suffering and pain in this world. And while the truths from this passage may be applicable to those situations, we really have to tread carefully. As we've learned from reading Job, many have well-intentioned but simplistic and distorted views of God's justice and suffering. Life is messy Suffering is messy. And as we engage with suffering ourselves or as we come alongside people who are suffering, we don't want to make it messier, if possible. So it's really important for us to understand what kind of suffering Peter is talking about here. So we don't take the encouragement from this word and try and force it into a situation that's not the right one. The type of suffering that Peter talks about through this letter and specifically in this passage, it has three aspects. Now, first is that it's, it's unjust. Peter mentioned earlier in his letter about the slander and abuse that was heaped upon the early church and these young believers as they tried to follow Christ. The hardship is not, and Peter emphasizes, it must not be due to bad behavior. Because consequences and punishment for bad behavior is is just. Peter says if you suffer, it shouldn't be as a murderer or a thief or a criminal. Now, he says this not because he thinks that the the early Christians are... um, going to do this, or they're going to be engaged in this kind of behavior, but because the offenses back, the offenses, those offenses back then, the punishment for those was death. And so I think Peter brought those out 
and highlighted those because those the death penalty might be the unjust penalty that the Christians suffer as they are following Christ. Because this young church is not plunging into the indulgent ways of the society around them, consequences are coming their way. Grief is coming their way. And it's unjust. Second part of this suffering that Peter talks about is that the church is not seeking confrontation. The church isn't leading a rebellion. It's not trying to tear down the family structures, and it's not trying to undermine the rulers, as he said earlier in the, in the letter. They're not seeking confrontation. Peter says, don't repay insult with insult or evil with evil. Don't be a mischief maker or a meddler or do wrong. Peter encourages the believers to live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on them. And yet, they still receive opposition and this fiery trial is coming their way. This suffering is unsought. And finally, but most importantly, this suffering, this ordeal, is not self-focused. Ultimately, this suffering, while it is directed at them, is really not about them. Ultimately, this suffering is about Christ. Receiving insults because of his name. Suffering because they're Christians. Participating in the sufferings of Christ. It's about Jesus coming into this world. It's about his light shining into the darkness. And it's about people loving darkness instead of light because they don't want their evil deeds exposed. It's about their hateful response to Jesus' light as it is reflected through his believers. Living as servants of God can bring out the worst in other people. Contempt for Christ is a real thing. And living as Christians or as little Christs, contempt will come our way. And because this fiery ordeal is not about us, it's about Christ, Peter gives the believers a kingdom of God way to respond and to receive these sufferings. First, he says, look to Christ. Set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. He is not only our example, he is our strength. He has not just gone ahead to show us the way, he is the way. He has died for our sins so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. Live freely for God. And that freedom means believers can respond to this kind of suffering in an otherworldly way. We are blessed when this happens because God's presence 
is resting on us. We may respond in praise because we belong to the house of God. So as Peter says in verse 13, rejoice. Because as you align yourselves with Christ and you suffer for his name and you suffer for him on this side of life, you will experience Christ's glory all the more on the other side of life. Mr. Clowney, in our trusty commentary that we've been using throughout this series, he says, as we suffer for Christ, we are linked to him. Our sufferings witness to his. We did not see Jesus on the cross as Peter did. But like Peter, we understand the meaning of his atoning death. Because Christ suffered for us, we can rejoice when we are counted worthy to suffer for him. Now, remember, Peter is talking about a devotion that's not an in-your-face, belligerent kind of devotion to Christ. It's not a see me, look at me, I'm following Christ kind of devotion. Nor is this suffering for Christ a measuring stick for us of our devotion, or it's not something that we should seek. But when, and they will come, when fiery trials come and contempt for Jesus gets directed our way, our belonging to Christ, it becomes more real. And what is really important in this life becomes refined. It's more clear. Our alignment to Jesus becomes stronger. And it just does. And in this life, and that brings joy. Now, today, with the incredible promise that this joy will overflow when Jesus is fully revealed. So now we move on to verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with the house of God. How does judgment fit into the idea of suffering for Christ? I have to say I really struggled with this portion of the passage. Partly because of our reading through Job and the missteps of Job's friends. I'm aware of how easy it is to understand God's justice particularly in the context of the suffering of his saints. So Peter says that these trials, these sufferings, unjust and unsought, resulting from devotion to Christ, are clearly part of something bigger. And that bigger picture is at least partially revealed through that passage in Malachi that we read earlier in the service. And it seems that Peter did have this passage in mind as he was writing to encourage the young believers in the churches that he was over. The passage in Malachi talks about God's appearing 
and how it will bring refinement, a refinement process to his people. The refining fire of the Lord comes to the temple and refines the Levites, his priests, like gold and silver. Malachi prophesies how God will come near to those who fear him and like treasured possessions, they will be compassionately spared. And the same fire that refines God's people will consume the wicked. Does that sound familiar to what Peter was saying? At the very beginning of this letter, Peter mentions the refining nature of these ordeals. These believers are suffering grace, grief and grace so that their faith is refined and proved genuine. In chapter 2, Peter mentions how they are God's people, living stones being built into his spiritual house, a royal priesthood, a part of God's house. And as God's presence draws near, the refining fire of God comes into his living temple and refines his priests. These fires do not destroy his people, but prove their faith genuine. Peter says, refinement begins with the house of God. As his presence comes into our lives and into our community. Mr. Clowney says, God has come to his new temple. The spirit of glory has his resting place in the sanctuary of living stones. Christians should not be surprised by the fiery trials, but should rejoice in the evidence that the Holy One has taken up dwelling with his people. The difficulty Peter describes in this refining process does not imply any type of uncertainty about the secure nature of our salvation in Jesus Christ. But he makes clear that this road is hard. And he also makes it very clear that if this road is hard for those who are devoted to and love Christ, what's going to happen to those who don't know him? The presence of God coming near to us, refining us, will consume them if they don't turn to God. May we respond with compassion to that reality. So suffering is tough. It's something we don't like to talk about, and we often see suffering or conflict as a failure, particularly in the church, particularly in the church, where we are tempted to see God's blessing only in things when they're going well. We hope people will like us. We hope people will ask us what makes us different. That's called the attractional model of outreach. And while that's not a wrong approach at all, that is just not the full picture of what following Jesus and devotion to Jesus looks like. Peter tells us that being a disciple to Jesus means we are committed 
to our faithful creator, not to the ways of this world. And that puts us in opposition to the ways of this world. Following Jesus and devoting ourselves to him means that we're going to be going against the grain at times, and that means that there's going to be friction at times. Our suffering won't look like the early church's suffering, but the call to us is the same. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. We are called to endure suffering for doing good because Christ suffered for us. Live as free people, chosen people, royal people. Live as servants of God. And as we entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly and devote ourselves to Christ, there will be times of friction in our families, in our workplace, with our friends. Peter's encouragement and hope for us is that this friction can be for our good as we humbly devote ourselves to Christ. It knocks off the hard edges. It refines our faith. And it reinforces what is really true treasure. God loves us enough to save us, and he loves us even more to not leave us where we are. This refining process starts now. Because even now, this day, we are becoming the people we will be for eternity. Please join me in prayer. Holy Father, we thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you for the good news of the gospel that carries us through the hard times. Thank you for the joy that is ours through Jesus Christ today and for the hope of overflowing joy when Jesus is revealed. May we trust your refining fire even though it hurts sometimes because you are our treasure and you guide us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. By the power of the Holy Spirit and in Jesus' name we pray, amen.